This is a podcast from Arts Council England and BBC Academy. Building digital capacity for the arts. Welcome to this series of podcasts taken from seminars and workshops as part of the Building Digital Capacity for the Arts programme. These events look at how the arts sector can effectively create and distribute high-quality arts content for its audiences. After the torchlight, red on sweaty faces. After the frosty silence in the gardens. After the agony in stony places, the shouting and the crying, prison and palace and reverberation of thunder of spring over distant mountains. He who was living is now dead. In 1922, when Eliot published The Wasteland, you will probably not have imagined that fewer than 90 years later, people like me will be walking around with glass tablets in our hands, reading it and finally getting through all the footnotes. We are holding this event to discuss many aspects of the development and release and the business model behind the app. I'd like to introduce the panel. Henry Volans, who's Head of Digital Publishing at Faber. Max Whitby, who's the Chief Executive Officer at TouchPress. Hilary Kenner, who's a lecturer in Design and Digital Media at IADT and was the designer on The Wasteland, and John Cromie, who's CTO at TouchPress and was lead developer on The Wasteland. And they're going to lead us through various aspects of what went on and how it all worked. So, Henry, are you going to talk about the origins of the project? I think the, the most significant thing for the origins within Faber was giving it a place within Faber where it could happen. Uh, I was given an empty desk uh, and a telephone and a computer and told to... Um, do things that go beyond what the ebook is capable of. Um, so we talked about it in-house before I'd come across TouchPress, and we certainly got some way, although I'd say our discussions at that point were characterised by uh, complexity, uh, and it was going to do a lot of things that sounded good in theory. Um, so we had the beginnings, we, had, we knew we wanted to do it, um, we had in favour digital a division that had the time and space and, I, and also worth saying the scope to invest to do it. When I came to Touch Press at that first meeting, I think it was very clear that they might be interested in more than just a solar system project. So I simply suggested what was the, the outstanding Faber candidate for that time, which was the Wasteland. But I think from the very beginning, it struck me that there was something unexpected in working with people who others might have written off as just scientists uh, on a literature app. And I think that's been uh, very central to it. I think if I'd gone consciously to some people who worked only in the arts, I don't think, I think we probably wouldn't have got the same result. But that's the, that's the launch, that's the story. Hi, I'm Peter Tullen, uh, founder of CultureLabel.com. It's really interesting your kind of starting point of saying actually we're going to create this department, but it sounds like actually you didn't decide we're going to bring kind of the developers in-house and obviously went to some people doing some really interesting stuff in that space. And wonder maybe it's another kind of similar thought process that maybe an arts organisation has to go through. 
you know, do we try and become a little bit of a technology company and bring that in-house? Or do we have people that kind of understand that world and then collaborate with people externally that are kind of making waves? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think one of the things we quite quickly realise is that building an app isn't just a case of having an idea and a software developer. It takes a lot of people to make one. So although I would say, Faye, we still think that it's still something very much on our minds, how much we could and should become closer to being uh, not a technology company. I don't think we'll ever be that, but more have greater technological competence in-house. We think about that a lot, but I think it would have been very expensive. Can I ask the question about, you said it would have been very expensive. How did you make the case for the investments that you were going to make into this app? And it's interesting, especially as other people in publishing still consider the investment we made, particularly in the solar system, as betting it all on red. Um, because I think the prevailing view from a lot of publishers was make, okay, we'll make an app, but we'll do it as cheaply as possible and we'll try and spend less than 10 grand. Um, and uh, certainly we were spending uh, a good few times more than that on solar system and wasteland together. I, th I think we don't need to be coy about the numbers. I think, okay, you know, yeah. we, we spent almost a quarter of a million dollars on solar system. And the wasteland cost, in theory, $80,000 to develop and in practice, particularly because it took so long, John, <laughs> about, about $120,000. So, you know, there's a substantial investment. And it's worth adding, Henry, that we co-invested in the yeah. title, didn't we? It wasn't just um, a commission, if you like. Rebecca Simon from Learning BC. Just wanted to ask, does that include all the rights costs and all the production costs? Of that figure includes the advances we paid um, and all the... Uh, third-party rights and all the software development and all the filming and yeah. Okay. And just going back to the initial concept, I would like to know how. Well, one thing I really noticed is the clarity of concept here, and uh, it's sort of very clear what you're getting and what, what to expect when you go there. How how easy was that to get to, or how, how many iterations did that have? Very quickly, the challenge, certainly from, from the design perspective, was to create a reading experience, not to, to distract from the, the core uh, text of the poem. And that was the challenge, because I think new media audiences are want to, want to tap, want to click, you know, the attention span, that the, they're seduced by the, the technology. So we wanted to create a kind of a slow experience but a rich experience so one that would start with the core of the of the poem text and then draw you in deeper and deeper so that you could you, the, the interface would reveal all this extra functionality this extra richness around which um, the poem remains the core and, and to get people to actually read the poem not to just kind of superficially you know skim through the notes and watch the the performance and well, perhaps, no, do all of that, but also to actually read the, the text of the poem. So from a typographic design point of view, that was primary in my, in my um, mind, to, to make it feel nice to read, to make it very legible, but to make it pleasing. Um, you know, and and the, the iPad as a platform, is, it's a very intimate window. There are so many design decisions in here that are quite radical. This is not an ordinary app. Uh, it doesn't look like other things. How did you, as you started to come up with a visual language, mm. persuade particularly the publishers to allow you to take such liberties with this story with the poem? Uh, by demonstration, I think, would be the short answer to that. And um, John, in particular, is scrupulous about getting something right 
before moving on. And so the wasteland that you see today took very slow shape, little piece by little piece. And as John got something working properly, then we'd, we'd, we'd share it, criticize it, tweak it, and then go on to the next. The other thing we definitely never wanted to do was anything that simulated a book like page turning or page mm -hmm. curling or anything, those kind of really heavy handed metaphors. Um, so we avoided things like that. We, we wanted to just, as I say, create a, a very um, pure experience where the, the interface would kind of, I suppose, reveal itself as needed and then you could tap to get rid of it um, right. and just go back to the... It is so not yeah. a book. Yes. And I think that that is one of the great achievements and one of the reasons why many people looking at it for the first time realise that you start to see the potential of mm. the tablet form. Yeah. Um, in the hands of a good designer, mm. good developer, with, of course, you know, a poem that can be seen as impenetrable and suddenly is revealed because of its presentation in this way. In filmmaking, you need to tell a story, and then, you know, that story needs to be reasonably clear, and, and that's the backbone of what you're doing. I think with one of these interactive books, you need that same clarity of purpose. You need a very clear architecture, a framework in, in which to work. And I think taking a, a single work of art um, is actually a much better way to go than trying to do the collected poems or you know, the catalogue raisonné of a particular visual artist. Uh, the other critical thing is authorship. I th and, uh, the Wasteland is, in, in a way, a kind of exception. But with, with the solar system, Marcus Chown was a, an author there telling a story. With the elements, Theodore Gray was an author there telling a story. And of course, in a way, T.S. Eliot is a, a voice there and I think, I think putting that into an app um, is something that not many people are starting to do yet because it's such an early form. I'm uh, Dan Gluckman from BBC Knowledge and Learning Online. Um, I think the most interesting thing for me is giving a completely new way of accessing a text that for many people would be difficult and unapproachable. So whether it's through the performances or the perspectives, kind of having that surrounding in a very easy to use way surrounding the poem, I think is very interesting. There is a boldness to it, and it surprised a lot of people. Um, I think when the New York Times wrote a, an op-ed about it, starting by saying, it's hard to say what a dead poet would have liked. Sort of a fantastic introduction. It was clear that the, the Wasteland app had made an enormous impact, enormous splash. Maria Morwood, um, Arts Council. Um, I'm interested in perhaps the questions that you asked yourself <coughs> in terms of the user or the audience and how that influenced your design process? Again, we had an early discussion with a lot of um, Faber and the poetry editor and different experts on the poem. And one thing that Henry was always clear about was that it should appeal to people who haven't perhaps uh, read The Wasteland or who aren't familiar with The Wasteland, that it should be accessible to them. But it also needed to withstand critical acclaim yes. from an educated yeah. audience as well. So, I mean, one but of the it ways wasn't you... aimed, it wasn't aimed at an academic audience. It may well have been if you'd thought too much yeah. about the audience, you wouldn't have yeah. gone ahead. We didn't build this, or Faber didn't, I'm not sure about Touchwood, on the basis that it would make our fortunes. Yeah. We just th did it on the basis <laughs> that it would be... Yeah. Max looks right resigned to not make this <laughs> fortune. I, 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 I thought it would take us two years to earn, earn the investment back, but I knew we'd have fun doing it. That's, and that's quite important. Mm. Now, one of the ways in which you did if you like, dilute the difficulty was with all the additional material. Mm. And I wonder if we could talk a little bit about that. I know Adam Lowe's here who, who filmed some of that material. And perhaps how did that come about? What, where, firstly, when was the decision made 
to use some of the television material in there and the additional material, and how did that process work between all of you? Uh, yeah, I can say a bit about that. I'm Adam Lowe. I um, directed the Arena uh, film about T.S. Eliot, which is how this connection came about um, and how we ended up including some of that material. Those interviews existed. I think we used four of the ones from the film, and then it was a question of deciding how many other people we should talk to. I think we chose another three for, for various reasons. Um, and then going out and filming those and cutting them all together in a very simple style. I think it's actually interesting that the, the, the video material was suitable to use in an app precisely because you have a simple shooting style, it's not cut all over the place, which would be disruptive over there. You can then choose which pieces you want to use and make entries and exits. You don't have all of the other stuff around it, so it sits with the very stripped-down aesthetic of the app as a whole. And I wonder if there's a lot of televisual material which could never work in this sort of way because the long forms of interviews in the rushes don't exist anymore and what has been cut for broadcasters wouldn't work. The way I look at it, the Faber and Touch Press working together on this app created a framework. The app made possible a whole load of things and there's all kinds of resources in the app like the Alec Guinness reading that was commercially unavailable. It was just neglected, another BBC archive thing. I think if the arena had not existed, we would have gone out and filmed something ourselves. And we probably have done a you know, reasonable fist at it. But the, 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 the possibility to plug into the wealth of experience which is you know, represented in, in that part of the audience is, is just fantastic for a collaboration like this. And we ended up with a set of assets that we could put into the app that really um, we're about, I, 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 I think, as, as, as good as, yeah. as one could reasonably expect to get. And, and that's the point about the partnerships and the collaboration. Mm. And conversely, by te teaming up, Arena and you, I suppose, were able to get access to top quality software development and uh, typography and editorial expertise. And it's greater than the sum of the parts. So, into what's under the hood. The first thing that has to happen really is that the, the digital material that exists has to be in, ingested is the word that we use, which really means it has to be wrangled into a format that, that the app can actually deal with. And um, very often that is, isn't a trivial process. Um, for example, we haven't really looked very closely here, but we've got the um, southern notes which go along with the poem. Um, very, very detailed notes that are hyperlinked to the um, individual words, lines, and phrases within the poem. This was a visual and interactive design um, challenge, but it was also a software challenge because now, instead of a sort of one-to-one -one mapping, you've got to create a much more um, sophisticated mapping between the notes and the lines of the text. Then there's the software development itself, um, in this case, we used a sort of mixture of um, in-house software that we had already developed for other apps. But really, because we, we took quite a different approach to this from, for example, the Elements or Solar System, the software engine behind it really was developed pretty much from scratch for the wasteland. And um, it uses a combination of UIKit, which is Apple's built-in um, user interface, standard user interface technology, 
but in almost all cases, we have greatly customized that or simply replaced it. So, Apple, known to all as the paragon of design, yes. the yes. people who build, they weren't good enough for you. So they were doing things which didn't work for this sort of... Their, their tools yeah. were very appropriate if you're producing a mail app or some sort of utility yeah. app. Um, so we, we did actually, I'd say we maximized a lot of the functionality that was in the UI kit in terms of what it could mm -hmm. do, and we just tweaked it and made and refined it so that it felt really good. I think, I think as, a general, as a general principle as well, um, we, we don't have this approach within TouchPress of having a design, um, a specification, and then handing that over to an engineering team to implement. Yeah. The, the software engineering is an integral part of the creative process. And the final, a very yeah, important uh, principle of um, this kind of production, and that's to keep the software and the code and the interface and the functionality separate from the content. Mm -hmm. So in principle, at the end of this project, we could take something completely different and and put it in, and John is uh, scrupulous in, in, in designing software in that way. Can I ask how long did it, from deciding to do it to publication, how long did it take? A year. I mean, could it be done? I mean, is that... We could now do the next one in four months. Jane Burton, creative director at the Tate. How easy would it be, literally, to just take it and put it on another platform? Would you have to stop almost well, from scratch? John is the one the to, to, to answer. It's pretty, pretty straightforward. Mm. So. Yeah, I mean, we're asked this question often, why don't we publish on other platforms? Um, I won't proceed to answer that in detail, but at, at the moment, the Apple platform does provide you with the um, um, software infrastructure that allows you to do this sort of tailoring to the degree mm. that we've been able to do it here. Mm. To do the same sort of thing on Android or even in HTML5, would have been an enormous challenge, and I don't think we would have got the experience just absolutely right. Um, that's not to say that particularly the Android platform isn't getting to that point. It's moving extremely mm. fast. Um, but certainly at the time we considered this, that was the case. Yeah. Very early on you talked about, say, taking this approach as opposed to some of the kind of classic ebook sort of techniques. And of course, Apple get their kind of 30%, and it's an incredible way, clearly, to experience the, the work. And it's something that, say, can't be replicated on, on a Kindle. Is, is there a kind of dialogue with Apple where they say, yeah, we, you know, we'd love the technology to be used in this way, so we can... Absolutely not. Uh, and Apple has really strong iron curtain between the iTunes store where things get promoted and the people who we have the closest relationship with in developer relations. Mm -hmm. And it's a Darwinian meritocracy. And we are as good as our next app. And for all that we've done successful things in the past, um, it's not worth anything, really. And unless, actually, the customers, the readers, the audience, um, give it the five stars that you get in the, the store, it's, uh, it's good. Did you always have in mind from the outset, yes, we want to develop something bespoke, which is very incredible for this particular work, but did you have in mind yeah, that this might be Yeah, we knew it would be bespoke, but I, I grossly underestimated how long this would take. I didn't begin to understand can, how much can, we had to do. Can I say the original? proposed launch date we had for this. <laughs> well, in our, in our original schedules, we had it, we had it coming out before Christmas, yeah. so six months before we did get it out. There's a very, I, th I think, uh, surprising set of things that need to go on to actually well, well, ship. Well, let, let, let's move on to that first. I mean, does anybody want to ask any questions or make any points? Just a very quick question. I think Viggo Mortensen is a very smart piece of casting. Can you just say briefly <laughs> whose idea that was? Because that gives it another sort of... Be before that, we do that, can we listen to a bit of Viggo? Just because you, so you understand the full majesty of his performance. What have we given? My friend, blood shaking my heart, the awful daring of a moment's surrender, 
which an age of prudence can never retract. By this and this only we have existed, which is not to be found in our obituaries or in memories draped by the beneficent spider or under seals broken by the lean solicitor in our empty rooms. Well, the, the Vigo, um, the, uh, well, the useful thing was that Max had just for a while been putting pressure on me to find an American voice. I mean, one, we haven't actually mentioned this app, or Max mentioned at the very start, this app sells worldwide, and that's absolutely key to its success. Um, the, one of the reasons we could pick it is because this poem is out of copyright in America, the, the largest market for iPads and apps. Um, so as a stroke, we could take it worldwide, conscious that it would have an American audience, and not just for that American audience, we wanted a contemporary voice, so we'd been on the lookout for someone. He went into a studio of his own accord, on his own time, uh, before we'd agreed any details, and read it. Um, and he read it over a few days. And again, that is, I think that's something about using... People wouldn't have done that for many things, but they might do it for the wasteland. Um, and, and so it really was as strange and unusual uh, as that. Actually, I think the other thing I should say about that is in the excitement of getting Vigo to do it, I forgot the Elliot the estate is very understanding, and that's one of the key reasons this happened. But at times, um, things happened so fast, I couldn't ask permission first. So uh, I was with great nervousness. I, I passed a completed recording to the estate and thankfully I liked it, but there were more, on more than one occasion, um, things went, uh, I didn't get approval, I just did things, and then we, f fortunately, we got it. Well, we have someone in the room who, um, perhaps more than any of us here, was responsible for finishing the title. Um, um, I did very little other than proof, but it's quite a lot of material to proof. <laughs> And, and attention to details, everything. And what we didn't want to do was what we nearly did, which was ship it with a spelling mistake on the front page. <laughs> no, it wasn't a spelling mistake. We put that word and in twice in the line, do you remember? We caught it the day it shipped. But all, all the little perspectives films needed to be watched and made sure they were correct. Make sure that all the notes refer to the correct bit of the... So, so you did that for, so it wasn't that you had one person watching the videos and one person listening to the sounds and you were in charge I of think that whole process? for uh, continuity, it's important that one person kind of owns all that so that you get it right and there's a house style if that's necessary. The limited amount of copies that uh, I was kind of more or less forced by my colleagues to give out almost always resulted in very negative feedback. You know, this is crap, why are you wasting all this money? And uh, um, so you have to have faith. And uh, that's good to say. So you've got a project that's six months over, that nobody who's seen it likes, that's based around a dry poem that people have stopped reading. You know, you guys are completely insane. Well, it felt like that sometimes, but um, uh, we so, I mean, yeah. So what made it work then? I you said you have to have faith. What was your faith in? fundamentally in the, in, 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 in the remarkable nature of that poem, which, as you begin to understand it, really rings all kinds of bells in one's life. It arrived on the scene at an interesting time in the history of digital publishing. It was the first serious attempt to take um, a piece of literature and, and try and do justice to it in an interactive form. And it immediately got picked up 
by a whole range of uh, journalists and bloggers who wouldn't you know, normally look at an app. The, um, the marketing of the app, who, who was responsible for that and how did you pitch it? So was it to the literary um, journalists first or was it to general? It, 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 it was like the production, Price. very much a joint uh, operation. Mm. Um, and um, the marketing publicity department here at Faber did a fantastic job especially with the connections that they already had to, into the literary press and literary world. But we at Touch Press were able to bring a range of connections into the digital publishing world and through Apple to um, the people who are covering um, tablets and new media devices. What affected Apple choosing it, do you think? Well, yeah. Very good for sales because all sorts of people see it in the iTunes store. So, that began to get attention. And we also then had a series of articles in the serious press. We had the New York Times editorial. We had a fantastic piece from John Norton in The Guardian. Uh, we had the Sunday Times, Brian Appleyard featuring it on the front cover of the Culture magazine as an example of this new literature. And that, that was when the snowballs really started rolling. Um, can, I, can I just, uh, to, um, sort of a supplementary question to... Patches, can you pre? I know you said you you know you showed material to people, but can you actually preview an app? You can. Uh, if give, you didn't have an iPad, you can, how do you, you, what can, you do? You, you can do two things. You can, uh, for those people who do have an iPad, you can give an advanced copy uh, a, of a the link software. of some kind. It, it, it's a download link, yeah. So to key journalists, you can you can do that. It's a bit complicated, but you can. Um, the other thing you can do is is to shoot a short demo, a demo. Uh, mm. which we put on our website quite quickly, and it went on to YouTube. And um, but again, Fiona should talk a bit about. Um, Twitter and blogging and, and, and other ways that, that, that the app got marketed because you were involved in that. The race one did extremely well on Twitter and um, there was a lot of activity around it and um, it's, it's a bit intangible the whole sort of marketing of apps via Twitter and Facebook and bloggers and all the rest of it. What I can say is it definitely works. There was a couple of key tweets as well. There was one that said um, T.S. Eliot knocks the angry birds off their oh, perch, yeah. you know, <laughs> knocks angry birds off, off their perch. So there was a few, I think, really kind of core kind yeah. of uh, tweets that people just got a lot My favourite ever tweet yeah. that we ever got about uh, the baseline was somebody who was tweeting at me, is this app not finished yet? No, no, it's a pile yet. And they said, hurry up, please, it's time. <laughs> Apple don't give you any feedback on who you've sold to. Yeah, the, the, you get the numbers of sales, but you can't, you can tell by country, but you can't tell what your demographic is or who's buying it. And it, it, is the tweet leading to sales or is the Facebook leading to sales? Or you, you absolutely cannot measure that, which makes marketing actually really difficult. Can I, can I interject there? Because that, well, do you want to make the point about Apple? Okay, because that raises the question of the relationship with Apple and Apple as a platform, the lack of information you get from them, the 30% you give to them, the way they increase the price sort of without your necessarily involvement. Yeah, there, are, there are a number of issues around producing for this platform that must have been very difficult for you commercially, technically, in terms of marketing. And I know they made you app of the week, but... Well, can I just answer on the 30%? Because I, I absolutely don't begrudge that 30%. I think it's earned. Um, if you look at the size of our apps and the sheer cost it would take to download them to a quarter of a million people, you know, two gigabyte app, that's mm -hmm. alone worth that, that kind of money. They handle all the credit cards, the returns, the customer relationship. Um, they put it in a well-curated 
place. Okay. Uh, they provide a certain badge of quality. So I, I, I think that 30% is uh, good value. What, what we do get is daily sales figures broken down by country, by territory. And um, you can see correlations between particular marketing events or marketing-related events and a peak. Um, can I move the conversation on a bit? Because one of the issues we touched on briefly when you mentioned that Wasteland out of copyright in the US and the cooperation you had from the estate is about rights. Um, because for everyone who's looking at making an app or releasing material online, it's the thing that comes up again and again. There are a lot of contracts underpinning this app, not just that core one, the different performers, the different people involved. Um, none of them follows any particularly established rules, so we had to, we tailored it to what was needed. So again, it comes back to this point about partnership, and, and another advantage of partnership with an IP owner is that if you can, if you can do that, you can get the, the core rights that you need. As far as I know, there's no equity um, rights framework for, in perpetuity, which presumably you must have for the Fiona Shaw performance. Um, well, there's a period of time, and given the rapid nature of change and evolution in this market, um, it's far enough into the future to be commercially comfortable. Um, what I would hope is that what we've built on many of our titles, um, the ideas that are there will transfer to the new platforms as they arise. And then, at that point, our contracts include a mechanism to go and, in good faith, negotiate terms for moving it onto those new platforms. Um, so I think you have to be flexible. That's, that's fascinating. So you've built in the assumption of technological redundancy into the agreement, knowing that having been successful, the chances of moving on to the next platform are increased. Well, we're not getting any rights for that other than the agreement to talk in good faith. Yes. And it then makes that conversation in four years' time much easier because there is a kind of framework and we can say, well, we're just going to do that successful project we did again and you'll continue to get the money. There are, there are other rights involved in this, such as the design and, and user interface. I mean, were you working for hire? Was your, do you have, is that how it worked with you? So you were just bought out as, and presumably the coding and all that sort of stuff. Which yeah, is... but it's, I suppose I'm doing more projects with TouchPress, so it's ongoing. But it is something, because I know that sort of other people who are looking at software development, there are all sorts of issues about who actually owns the copyright in the code base, whether it can be used for other projects with or without permission. Well, for right or wrong, we have a, a, an absolute principle at TouchPress that on any project we work on, we end up owning the software mm -hmm. and the interface and the, and the code that's there. And um, you know, Hillary is, I think, wise enough to respect that a publishing company has to have that and the quid pro quo for that is that we, I hope, offer Hillary a series of projects that will be attractive for her to be on in the future. It also means that when we come along to do another project, we can bring all the legacy of what we've done um, to, to, to apply in the future. And I, I think it's extremely important that um, people who have such a strong creative contribution as Hillary are... Um, you know, properly credited and recognised. It's interesting because, of course, in mm. publishing we have sort of royalty-based deals or we have some contracts where an author's paid a flat rate. Yeah. And I know some, say, children's authors who have traditionally mm. paid a flat rate have now started negotiating mm. that if sales go of a certain level, they start, a royalty starts mm -hmm. to kick in. Yeah. And it may well be that there's scope for all sorts of other contractual arrangements around this sort of proposition that have yet to evolve. Yeah. And in a sense, you're, you're testing those waters, the, the business commercial side of it, just as much as you're testing the technological waters. 
There's a point here that Eddie wants to make. Could you, Rebecca, could you give him the mic? I mean, it's, it's not as much a question, it's just a sort of, it's, it's a confusion. £10, is it the right kind of product? Could you have sold many more at £2? Or is there a free model? Or is there a risk that mm. perhaps this good have to be about 10 or 15 quid? Because it, it works out from funeral directors. Mm. I think £10 is, a, is about 7% of the licence fee. I think it's worth every penny. This is the high end of life, isn't it? Well, how much would you pay to get the equivalent content if you bought a DVD of a performance and a printed book mm. and mm. the facsimile edition and... Um, Southern's Notes. And, and Southern's Notes. I mean, mm. the, the components are probably worth about 30 or 40 quid, aren't they? Yeah. So it depends where you're, where you're looking at it from. I mean, also, an, an, an app is a very different kind of experience than the others you're describing. It's a very uh, intimate, tightly coupled one, um, and I, I think you pay for that. Can you give us some more facts and figures? You gave us a little idea of the elements, and, but you have, I, don't, I haven't heard how many you've sold. And the, oh, well, the elements, quarter of a million. Um, oh, sorry, this one. Solar the system uh, has done about 70,000 units. Mm -hmm. Um, the wasteland, we thought we would break even on a budget of 120,000 in about a year, and we broke even in six weeks. Um, given how successful the app has been, is this going to be a huge new revenue stream for Faber? What's next? Um, I, I, it, huge new revenue stream, uh, maybe in the long run. There's risk of being a bit too naive and looking at it as an instant and ready-made market, this is still an interesting and fluid and changing area. But I think the most interesting thing for me, uh, seeing the press and the publicity, it seemed to me to tap into a, a world that was interested in having something uh, cultural, something to do with arts and culture on the iPad, something that wasn't a game or a utility, something that you could get absorbed into. And so what I... what what Max and I are talking about is developing uh, a strand around not just poetry or not even just literature, but, I mean, I've given hints about the breadth of Faber's involvement in arts and culture, from drama to film to music, and we're interested and indeed working on developing a strand that, that moves into, brings arts and culture um, alive in that digital Sphere. In all the titles we've published so far, we've kind of tried to take a subject and use what's different about the iPad to give the audience tools to explore the subject themselves, and whether that's a periodic table or astronomy or, or poetry. And I, and I really look forward to applying that to other subjects, especially in the cultural space. And I, I think it's like breaking into the Garden of Eden at the moment. You know, we're just at a fantastic time in uh, the, the kind of history of evolution of publishing. Thank you. Thank you. Um, they deserve it because you've answered all the questions with great grace and, and skill. So thank you Max Whitby, Henry Holland, Don Cromie and Hilary Kenner. And thanks also to Fiona, Mark Lee, Martin Rosenbaum, Adam Lowe, Anthony Wall for being our expert witnesses. Thank you all for your great questions, your patience. I think we've scratched the surface here because there's so much underneath, but I hope that after this you've got an understanding of what happens, how complicated it is, but how rewarding it, it is. And I think the three things that I've taken from this are the absolute importance of committed partnerships among people who will work closely together, the 
stress on the quality of the finished product and not compromising on that, and the importance of keeping your code base in good order. And if you do those three things, you're more likely to succeed. Don't forget to share and bookmark our podcasts. Video and audio is available from all our seminars and masterclasses at artscouncil.org.uk slash digital capacity. That's artscouncil.org.uk slash digital capacity. Building digital capacity for the arts. You've been listening to a podcast download from Arts Council England and BBC Academy.